What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the made-to-move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon what's up charleston welcome to the uh, healthy charleston podcast um i'm dane gifford i'm here with uh, nate jones and matt Schreiber. dr nate dr matt dr matt mm. <laughs> the handsomest um, doctor Today we're just kind of freestyling, talking about, uh, I guess, youth training and uh, you know strength and conditioning within uh, the youth world. Um, kind of dispelling myths. We'll dive down the rabbit hole. We'll do some Google searches and yeah. just kind of answer any questions that uh, that we think might arise on a, on a constant basis. So uh, yeah, what do you guys got? Oof, where to start? Um, I've got some stuff prepared. If we want to talk through all the boring research stuff first, I don't know. Do let's, wanna... let's talk, I guess, first of like when people think about youth training, like what mm-hmm. are the myths that come along like with it? Like what, what's the first thing that comes to your head when you think youth strength training? Lifting will stunt your growth. Yeah. That's yeah. It's like one of the biggest ones, right? right. Yeah. It's crazy. Just in like, you know, you like weightlifting is bad for kids like in their teens, you know, they mm-hmm. should not lift in their teens or before their teens. Um, uh, you know, lifting weights might uh, affect their performance on the field. So, like, if I'm, you know, even a swimmer or a basketball player, or whatever, lifting weights might adversely affect what I'm doing on the field. Like, I don't want my kid to be tired or yeah. sore or, you know. Yeah, I remember my my stepdad at one point told me that you don't get too bulky because it'll slow you down. Yeah, that was another one. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Yeah. I don't want that to happen. Yeah, yeah, for maybe sure. Maybe are just pure biceps. So. <laughs> right. Just only train biceps. Um, so yeah, let's talk about uh, weightlifting, stunning your growth first. So yeah. if you look back, there's a pediatric position stand from 1990. Um, and this is where they came in and said basically that uh, up through adolescence and even like late adolescence, the growth plates in your body, these... Um, Parts of your bones that are kind of like more more cartilaginous, cart- cartilaginous, cartilaginous, yeah, yeah, um, are not closed up yet, and they're prone to injury. And if you injure a growth plate, then it can make that bone uh, grow a little bit more slowly, right? So you can interfere with the growth of your long bones if you injure them directly on a growth plate. So, what do they classify as an injury? So bro- breaking it, breaking right, it. yeah. Um, their stand has no citations in that area. So there's nothing to cite there. It's just like expert, expert, uh, opinion, opinion, right? So when you, when you start looking into the actual like safety of weight training, there's actually a decent amount of literature on this at this point, safety for resistance training in uh, pre-adolescence and even adolescence. Um, 
you're really, really unlikely to break a bone lifting weight. So you're, Gosh. I think it's like 40 times more likely. I'm just pulling a number out of my butt. Sure, but go for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you're much, much, much more likely to break a bone literally doing any, any team sport or contact sport um, than you are like just lifting weights in the weight room. I don't think I've ever seen a broken bone from just lifting unless you yeah. like drop a weight on your head. So I've never seen that. How much compression? I've force. never seen a youth athlete yeah. do it. I've never seen a grown athlete. I've seen like a dislocated elbow yeah, or something sure. like that from lifting Snatching overhead. Like, yeah. yeah, like heavy, heavy loads with that fast dynamic movement. But mm-hmm. those are also maximal loads that a youth athlete's never really going to hit. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, so it like in order to to stunt growth, you would have to actually fracture one of your bones lifting weights, which is very very unlikely in almost every scenario. Even if like they're training by themselves and just being dumb, like it's it's going to be hard for a kid to actually break a bone. Like most kids don't break bones. You know, it's, they're they're common, but it's not like most kids end up doing it, especially in the weight room under supervision. It'd be almost impossible to do. So weightlifting at this point, we have decades of evidence saying that weightlifting is not going to stunt your kid's growth basically yeah um, and like even the stre- like a stress fracture i think of stress fractures i think of running like i don't know many athletes who or yeah. strength athletes who have stress fractures from lifting weights yeah I don't, like do you know any? Mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, I, again like most of that's from a repetitive motion type thing and almost always you're gonna get rid of the load before you repeat that motion enough to yeah. to cause any of that kind of i don't know it just seems yeah. So then we, I guess we would kind of ask the question, like, why, why would we want them to? So like, it's, it's safe to do it, right? We're not going to stunt growth where it's a pretty low injury rate. So why would we want kids to lift weights then? So you guys want to, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I wanted to really quickly make right, a go. challenge to the public yeah, because I yeah, think sure. it's actually been um, quoted in the past that there is not a single piece of uh, cited research that supports the idea that there is um, stunted growth from lifting. I've never seen, no, I've never seen one. Right. Yeah, I don't think I have either, and I, I think I've read multiple times through multiple reports that there is not a single body of evidence that shows that. Mm-hmm. So if anybody out there has it, I'd love to see Send it. it um, yeah, please. Uh, I'd love to be educated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then I guess kind of coming back around, so why would we want kids to lift weights? Uh, why would you want kids to lift weights? Matt. Dr. Matt. Dr. Oh, Matthew. So, I mean, it would do the exact opposite. It would strengthen your bones, like just like any connective tissue that is loaded, which essentially means putting weight on it and stressed appropriately. Like it's going to make the bones stronger. It's going to make the ligaments, tendons, and muscles around it stronger. So they're going to be less likely to actually break a bone that could stunt their growth in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I've always been like a movement guy. I like like high quality movements, you know, like when I think about sports and everything else I want kids to move uh in the best possible manner whatever that even means I don't I don't know but just uh the most athletically that they can and to me lifting weights provides a neurological component that is so important being able to control your body in space being able to control an external load in space developing that that awareness of the body and how to move the body is hugely important to performance on the field and then also safety on the field, um, whatever that sport may be. And I think that, that weight yeah. training provides a ton of that. Mm-hmm. And even setting them up for good, healthy habits when they're older, like as adults, like we know the importance of strength training as we age and it's just a healthy habit to have, right? So like when we start when they're younger, it's a lot easier to teach them good habits because they're, they have more neuroplasticity. Essentially they can, they can learn things quicker than older adults can. Um, so this is a good time for them to learn how to do it and then 
when they go to high school, they're already somewhat prepared and familiar with weights. So then when they go to college, same thing. They already know what they need to do and how to do it instead of learning later in life and going through some periods where you may not know exactly what you're doing. So it's better to start young. Yeah. I kind of think too, like lifting weights is sort of like a cheat code for increasing tissue capacity, right? So like when you, when you play a sport, your, your body adapts to that sport. So like you play soccer over the course of a soccer season, like um, it's been shown that like high schoolers, ACLs get thicker over the course of that season, right? So connective tissue gets thicker, muscles change to adapt to that sport, bones change, but lifting weights is going to rapidly increase the tissue capacity beyond what just playing that sport will do. So when you, when you look at the, the stimuli that are required to produce changes, right? So if you look at like what makes, makes a muscle bigger, then it's regardless of what we think is causing that, it's getting close to that fatigue point. So yeah. um, you don't have to like blow it completely out, but making the muscle fairly tired, lifting something moderately heavy, right? Fairly to moderately heavy. Um, so that's not necessarily something that happens in sports very often. You might make a, an argument for like that happening like wrestling, if someone's like holding constant tension on a muscle or something like that. But in most sports, it's these fast explosive movements where there's tension on the muscle and then it's off. And so there's going to be a limit to how much tissue adaptation that kind of stimulus actually produces. Um, but those forces are very, very high and the tissues may not necessarily be prepared to deal with, with those high forces just being uh, stimulated by those similar forces, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Just talking well, yes. Yeah, so let's talk about yeah. it just in like simple, very, very simple <laughs> yeah, terms, so, an example. So say you're like sprinting and you change direction really quickly, you like plant your right foot into the ground and you try and shoot off towards your left side, right? So... Um, that's a very, very high force through a lot of the, through basically your entire body, through your ankle, through your knee, through your hip. Um, but it only lasts a fraction of a second and it's not, um, enough of a stimulus to actually make like the muscles a lot bigger, right? Like if you're completely untrained, maybe your glute gets a little bit of a stimulus for getting a little bit bigger. Some of the, the tissues along your leg, like your bones might get a little bit bigger and stronger from that. But when you, um, say you're just doing like barbell back squats or like heavy lunges or something like that that stimulus like keeping the getting the muscle tired and like um, fatiguing it out under a heavy weight is going to be a much larger stimulus for growth so your quad's going to get a lot bigger your glute's going to get a lot bigger your bones are going to have a much more adaptation than they would just playing the sport and so now when you go to play that sport again you you go to like cut you're like sprint really fast forward and you change direction really quickly plant that right leg if you've been lifting the the percentage that you're the percentage um, of the tissue capacity that you're exerting may not be like as close as it would be if you hadn't lifted weights, right? So maybe like doing that without lifting is 90% of your ability to move that leg. Maybe if you've done 12 weeks of resistance training before you did this, now it's like 60% of what you can do with that leg. It's much lower actual stress during the sport. Yeah. And so we have a lot of evidence too at this point, multiple sports of so basketball, uh, soccer, um, there's probably more looking at just like a little bit of resistance training, a little bit of strength training, um, cuts injury rate basically in half in these, in, in most youth, youth athletics. So, right. And that's cause you're not operating at 90% all the time. Yeah. You're closer to that 50 or 75% yeah. in terms like your, of your ability. Your body is very prepared for that sport. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's even some evidence to show that when you're, when you're new to strength training in general, whether you're youth or adult is you don't need maximal load. You can be just fine off sub-maximal load and doing it, like he said, kind of close to that fatigue point. So, like, I think a lot of people get scared when they hear the word heavy. Like, oh, heavy? I can put something heavy on my back and do heavy back squats or heavy right. lunges? Yeah. And it's like, well, it's heavy, but you could also do it lighter and then just work up to a fatigue mm -hmm. point 
and still get very good benefits. Like, yeah. As far as rep range goes, you could train anywhere within the rep range that you as a, if you have a clinician or a, a trainer feels comfortable with and as well as the individual and the athlete feels with. Right. Right. But it doesn't have to be like necessarily heavy, heavy. We can leave a few reps in the tank, essentially mm -hmm. not go to failure for all of our sets and still get really good benefits with, yeah. with youth athletes. Just got to work, like Nate said, to that fatigue point with whatever within that load is. Yeah, within yeah. two or three reps. And then... You know, the other part is that heavy is relative. And when you first start out lifting as a youth athlete, um, there's going to be huge gains, right? And that's, that's great for a lot of reasons. We can talk about that in a minute. But the neurological component, again, is going to be the increase. So it's not even like they're having to load themselves beyond where they're capable of today. It's just that when they squat today and then they come in next week and squat again, they're progressing from a neurological standpoint, not necessarily a tissue standpoint. We haven't even gotten to the loads that require tissue adaptation. Mm -hmm. We're purely neurological for probably what the first little bit. I mean, there is some well, tissue yeah. adaptation, yeah. but there's yeah, still it's small going enough to be a that lot. it's hard to detect up until about four to six weeks. Right, and so within those loads, those early loads, the injury risk is way reduced. I mean, mm -hmm. there's not is not a heavy enough load really there to, to yeah until it until you like learn the movement well you probably it's going to be hard to lift heavy enough to actually hurt yourself right you know and by the time you you learn the movement well hopefully you're moving well enough that when you lift heavy you still won't hurt yourself so absolutely um, i wish i would have looked up uh rates of injury in the weight room versus sports i know there's a study looking at it and oh, i can't yeah. remember what it is but it's much 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 lower for any sort of lifting activity versus versus sport yeah so. absolutely um and kids are resilient. Like if they do, oh, my knee hurts, my back kind of hurts a little bit after my weight training session, like I wouldn't be super alarmed with it. Like that's, that's okay. Like part of pushing hard or trying to get better at running, your shins might hurt, your knees might hurt. That's part of the process. So I think just because we have an ache or pain that's developed after a training session from resistance training or strength training doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. That's just, that's kind of part of that process too. And I think we should right. prepare for that. Like if you try anything hard, it's going to happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Pain is not injury, pain is right? Not injury. Yeah. For sure. The, um, you know, one thing I, I, I mentioned and it's way off topic, but I mentioned like the early on, like those linear gains, like the first four to six weeks, it's also huge from a psychological component. Mm. If you get a kid that maybe has a question about whether he or she is not very strong or not as athletically gifted as maybe their peers and all of a sudden they go through four to six weeks of strength training and they add on 10 pounds to the bar every week now six weeks later they're probably going to see a perk up in their you know personality and everything else because now their confidence level is starting to rise and they mm -hmm. are oh i am stronger than my peers or i am just as fast or yeah. maybe i'm not as fast yet but i'm on my way to getting there yeah, yeah. And they can track that too over time. They can see I'm getting faster, I'm getting stronger, I'm able to jump higher just by every day when they put more load in the bar. They see progress, which is yeah. exciting. Yeah, and that's that's a really big thing too in regards to just even pure performance, right? Like we're always talking about from an injury perspective, like lift so you don't get hurt, but like performance-wise, the the basis for being being able to create power so is is force, right? So enable to move quickly, you first have to be able to create a lot of force with your muscles. Um, and then power is actually the amount of force you produce per time, right? So mm -hmm. the amount of force you produce per whatever time you're actually moving. So in order to improve force, muscle size has to be bigger and your brain has to learn how to use that muscle better. And that's what resistance training does is um, 
especially in adolescence. And there's, I want to, I want to talk about pre pre adolescent muscle growth here in a second. Um, <laughs> but we don't have to get into that quite yet. But you know, like lifting is going to make those muscles bigger, and it's going to teach your brain how to better use them. And then when you practice the sport, you'll you'll learn how to coordinate that new musculature, and it will improve performance. It'll improve explosiveness. It'll improve um, just strength. You know, in any contact sport, that's going to be really useful. That's why that's why football players are huge. You know, so. <laughs> Um, yeah, let's, let's go into that. So, will yeah. will lifting weights and me bulking up is that going to slow me down? I I don't think so. I mean, so maybe in a marathon, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah there is some research to yeah. show that like the size of your leg and like endurance activities and all these different things may may correlate to a slightly slower time. But we're talking about peak performance slowing you down from a two hour marathon to a two hour and fifteen marathon. Yeah. You know, and, and this is and even then, so that may not be completely true right so this is this is not necessarily in uh, youth athletes but if you look at the literature in regards to adding strength training into endurance events so um i think it's they looked at like 10k 20k and 30k races um up through even like ultra marathon length distances adding a little bit of strength training actually improves running efficiency and, and can mm-hmm. improve the times that you complete it that being said like adding a decent amount of body mass would probably slow it down so those those benefits are probably more improved tissue qualities like bone density might increase a little bit muscle size might increase a little bit but it's minimal um just enough to like avoid avoid injury and then if if you're adding like 10 pounds of muscle obviously like that's gonna slow you down over a three-hour run probably um but how hard is it to have 10 pounds of really, muscle? I mean, Man, if I could do that. I know. I've been trying for 20 years. Your whole this life, point. right? Well, so, and yeah. I think that's where it goes back to having a coach or a practitioner, too, that understands the demands of the sport. Mm-hmm. And you're always going to tailor that to the sport. Now, when you're younger, there is not really, like, demands don't really change, mm-hmm. right? If you're an adolescent, like, your demands are just to get stronger and more resilient and, mm-hmm. you know, more power production. Like, it doesn't really matter so much about the sport at hand. Mm-hmm. Sure. Within a given yeah. context, right? Every athlete's different. Every training age is different. You know, all of that comes into play. But the right coach will be able to identify the right stimulus for the right athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I do want to throw out there. So, like, over short distances, so, like, sprint sports, um, you know, soccer, football, uh, short distance track and field, like adding muscle mass is going to help. It's, it's that force leads to power, right? So the, the bigger your thighs are, the more muscle you have in your thighs relative to where you personally were before or after this, probably the faster you're going to be able to sprint. You're going to create, be able to create more force with your quads. Um, that's going to turn into being able to create more force per time and you're going to move more quickly over those short distances. So for the majority of team sports, adding more muscle mass almost can't go wrong. Yeah. Um, and we talk about adding muscle mass, like it's really hard to it's add very muscle hard. mass, yeah. first of all. And like, especially because now we're talking about like youth. So their ability to add muscle before puberty or like while they're going through puberty, it's still relatively slow compared to like a, a teenager and they're, they're like early 20s, like when mm-hmm. testosterone's at its highest and uh, other factors. But it's going to be really hard and you have to pair that with a lot of nutrition. But if you were to eat a like maintenance level amount of food, like a normal amount of food, and you're not overstuffing yourself, it's going to be really hard for you to gain weight. So I wouldn't worry too much about actually like bulking up, so to say. Like, yeah, adding a little bit of muscle mass, and you'll be able to see some physique changes, but it's not going to be like you're going to look like Ronnie Coleman or like Jay Cutler or like one of these bodybuilders. Like that's, that is 20, 30 years for somebody to bulk up like that. Yeah, it's taken me like 15 years of steady lifting to even look like I lift. Right? (laughs) 
Like, I love uh, this. One day it'll pay off. I still yeah. don't look like I lift. Yeah. yeah. If I like have a real sick pump on the pump on it in the gym, I'm I'm good. But like, like your bicep band looks pretty good right now. Thanks, man. I've been doing a lot of curls. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's talk about since we're on the topic there a little bit. Let's talk about um, pre-adolescent strength training. So. I just, I just thought this was kind of interesting, like going through the history of it a little bit. So if you look at the current pediatric, uh, it's like the American Associ- Association of Pediatrics or something, they do say, and I think they updated this in 2015, that strength training for, for youth athletes is good, right? Like it can be beneficial. They specifically say it's beneficial because you can add strength, but pre-adolescents cannot add muscle size through strength training, which really drives me nuts. So... It could be true, right? Like we don't have a lot of evidence saying they can. So I actually looked through this. I didn't I didn't spend hours of my life searching through this, so I might have missed something. But if you look at the studies available that have looked at actual muscle size increases in pre-adolescent athletes doing strength training, we have one from 1989, we got 1991, uh, in 1990, they used a CAT scan, which is def- decent, right? So they did 20 weeks of weight training, used a CAT scan. They showed no actual muscle size increase. Um, I didn't dig into that study. Um, it did show some strength increase, so it probably wasn't a terribly yeah. designed study. But I'm betting, like, there, I, I don't know. I feel like there's probably something that went wrong sure. in that study a little bit. Um, there is one study. Hang on, let me find it. <laughs> There was one study from 1989. Um, they had a pretty small, uh, pretty small group, so it wasn't like a, a big group, but they showed a four to nine percent increase in muscle and quadriceps size after uh, ten weeks of knee extension training. Um, and this was a nuclear magnetic resonance imaging, so they used MRI to check this one out. Um, they did a few different measures and the different measures they used either showed 4% up to 9%. So the measure mattered in regards to this. Um, and it is a small sample size, but there is that one study showing like it did increase in pre-adolescent youth athletes after 10, 10 weeks. Um, so their strength increase and their actual muscle size increase. Um, I'm of the opinion that like, assuming like nutrition is there yeah. and like the, the program is well thought out, like the reasoning given for um, people saying that that like the pediatric association saying that muscle size doesn't increase is because they don't that have the hormones to support it. But mm-hmm. like we have we have like ninety year old women like mm-hmm. fifty years post menopause that show muscle growth when they start start strength training. You know things yeah. like that. So there's I mean women increase muscle size at a rate similar to that of men even though they have was like an eightieth level of the average testosterone. Right. Sure. So. Um, I don't know necessarily that, that that makes sense to me. And I think just the fact that we don't have any evidence for the last 30-ish years, I, I think that's something probably to explore. It's kind of interesting to me, actually, yeah. when I went through this, that I couldn't really find anything recent looking at it. Um, I'm betting we see that you can increase muscle size in, in kids, which makes sense even from a growth perspective, right? Like a five-year-old yeah, five doesn't have the same muscle size as a nine-year-old. Like you just grow, your muscles get bigger. So why wouldn't the stimulus that creates muscle growth in 
every other human being also worked for kids. Yeah. Um, it would just it could be, be a lot smaller. I feel like it would just be a lot smaller. Yeah, it'd like probably that. be slower. But, but that's fine. Yeah. But you can. Yeah, I bet you can. I bet you can too. I bet you can. I don't. Yeah, we're gonna test it out. Pre and post tests. We'll just do yeah, some if you guys, conference measurements. You got an in body now, you know? Yeah, we'll just, yeah. Like, we'll just, just, yeah. Uh, if uh, in body didn't exist back then, 30 years ago, there were no in body scans. Um, yeah, if anybody listening to this wants to donate their children to science, <laughs> yeah, we, we, would love so to, <laughs> we would love to make your children super swole. Super swole. Do some pre and post measurements, make them squat and deadlift. Let's yeah. talk about what is the, how would you guys start somebody? Like, okay, so we've, we've, we've kind of clarified the myth mm-hmm. that it's okay to strength train mm-hmm. and, and it's not going to stunt your growth. You will get stronger. You will get, you will grow muscle, but not become bulky. And that's not going to slow you down. Those are the things we talked about. And then now how do we actually implement this with a youth athlete? So yeah, good. No, you go ahead. Okay. We'll kind of all go. Cause I mean, we'll all have, yeah. we're all going to have different takes yeah. on like what we do and focus on. Yeah. Like some of us may be more movement specific, some people may be more load specific. Let's kind of mm-hmm. just like, I'd like to just hear yeah. what y'all say. Yeah, so I would say like it, it depends on their sport season. So I think, so I'm not a huge fan of the idea of like normal periodization just from a stimulus for muscle growth standpoint. But I think mm-hmm. in regards to, um, and periodization is the idea that you're like splitting up the training based on the year you're working on like strength and then power um, and then speed, you know, stuff like that. But based around sports seasons i think it does make a lot more sense because you're trying not to like wreck their sport season by making them max out their squat right the day before a game or something like that you know so i would say like i would i would base it off of their off season is when things get a lot more lifting wise and then in season trying to more maintain those gains maybe work a little bit on speed and power um, and try not to lose any of the strength they've built um and then like day one it would really be like you know i'm always going to go for like bench or bench press squat deadlift and overhead press is kind of the you know some sort of upper back rowing kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and just basically working up to something that looks pretty heavy that their form doesn't break down and then just working from there just and starting with a few sets a week and then going to more sets a week and slow progression and that's basically all of it so yeah i i mean i don't disagree i i think that um at a certain age like most kids can lift year round um you know, kind of keeping in mind if they have stuff going on, like, you know, game on the weekend or whatever and planning accordingly. But I think that I always start with movement quality. So I'm looking for them squatting properly, you know, lifting things from the ground, that hip hinge pattern properly, pressing, um, and that's pressing, you know, horizontally like a bench press or a push up um, overhead. Uh, all those positions, I want to make sure that they understand what the requirement is and, and, and that they can do that over and over and repeat it. Um, and the better they get at repeating it without cueing, then the more I'm going to challenge the load. So if I have to cue less, then typically I can increase the load uh, maybe a little bit quicker and everything else. Uh, the other thing I like to do is I like to try to challenge them with you know single leg or unilateral mm-hmm. type movements just to get one side versus the other so that they can work independently. And last, uh, you know, in addition to that, I think that Nate has brought on a a lot of knowledge to me or, or, you know, highlighted a lot of things to me in his training is um, odd object and putting them into positions that don't mimic, um, you know, an exactly like perfect squat or a perfect hip hinge or different things to try to make them more resilient because when they are playing their sport, when they are on the field or, you know, wherever they are, they're not going to be in perfect athletic positions all the time. And so making sure they're more resilient and, and, and can adapt to the environment 
is key. So it doesn't mean that we have to increase the load a ton, but just putting them into kind of different positions and challenging them to, to understand how to move. That's good. I'll let you guys know how I do it. So similar to everybody is I train movement patterns more so than I do muscles, especially uh, with athletes. It's like every workout I do would most likely be a full body routine. It would be ideally two to three, two to four sessions a week. More likely it's going to probably be two because <clears throat> with the in-season stuff like that, it's just hard to load them more. But every workout will have one squat pattern, one hinge pattern. A hinge is like a, a deadlift or essentially some teaching people how to pick something up off the ground safely using more uh, glutes and hamstrings. So I have one squat, I have one hinge, I have one press, I have one pull, and then I have one I either core or, core or carry. A carry is just like mm -hmm. carry something heavy and carry it. So essentially like an easy like five, five things you can do in your workout that you can just take with you. One of each and then it changes. One day we might do all vertical pushing and pulling and one day we might do all uh, horizontal vertical or horizontal pushing and pulling. But I try to I try to keep it very simple and just load them that way. As far as like rep range goes, I train it within a spectrum. I find like five to ten to fifteen is good. Like I I typically don't go below five right now, but they could go below five. I don't think they should be scared to go below five. Um, and sometimes and I and I too I do keep them a little bit farther away from fatigue with more reps in reserve just because I want to ingrain like a good movement pattern first. And as they feel more comfortable, we'll get closer to failure, but I typically stay a little bit further away. Um, but they're the same as anybody else. Like if, if that was an adult, same thing. Like if an adult comes in and wants a full body workout routine, that's probably how I'm gonna load them. Unless they can train more than four days a week, I'm not necessarily going to give them a, like here's a leg day, here's an arm day, here's a whatever day. Like I try keeping it, having multiple, uh, multiple stuff, multiple body parts or multiple movement patterns worked in one day instead. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to hit, hit on too, Nate, you, put up, you brought up a really good point of like, ideally this would be around their season, right? So like mm -hmm. off season is when they work out, but realistically in this time, time and age, there is no off season. Yeah. <laughs> like kids yeah. go from baseball, basketball, yeah, football, yeah. track and field. And they're like, they don't have time to, to strength train. I mean, they do have time yeah. to strength train, but like they don't have Should. time to prioritize. So like, yeah. what do they do? What do parents yeah. do? Let's uh, let's talk about it in just a second. I know Nate's got some research behind that, and yeah. uh, you know I think that's a good place to end. We talked about dispelling myths. Now we can maybe highlight some good, you know, facts about you know what is maybe something to steer away from as as youth sports and youth training and everything. But before we do that, I wanted to to talk about. Um, what Matt was talking about is uh, a lot of that comes into so we we're talking about movement progression loads rep ranges making sure the movement quality is there all that depends a lot too on the maturity of the athlete so kids if you have a kid that's 11 years old and you took five of them at 11 years old each one of those 11 year olds is going to have a different level of maturity in terms of how well they listen to the coach how well they're able to receive the information and do what you're asking to them so one might progress a little bit faster the other one might not and it's all based off of that interaction and like that progression so there's no like exact set progression yeah. in place because every athlete that walks in the door is gonna have a different level of maturity. And then as you go along further into their career, we talk about training age. How long have they actually been in sports or actually been in a weight room? That training age is gonna dramatically affect how they progress in the weight room. Mm -hmm. All right, 
now we can talk about in season, off season, yeah. out of season, year round season. Yeah, let's talk about uh, year round sports stuff, yeah. early specialization. Right. Um, this is. Uh, there's it's my a pet peeve is what it it's, is. Yeah, it's it's a real big pet peeve. Um, so it this does just just starting out before I even get in this this does differ sport to sport, right? So the this applies to the vast majority of sports. Um, other sports like gymnastics, we don't really have that much data on, and there may be an argument for like a little bit of early specialization, but like I would say there's a lot of arguments against it too. Um, so what we do have is a few studies looking at this. So early sports specialization is the idea that um, early on in your life, like middle school, early high school, you've decided this is my sport, this is what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna practice just this sport basically year round um, and get really, really good at it. The idea is that if you just play football through like middle school and high school, then you're gonna be really good at football, right? Like this is gonna make your skills in football really, really good. and like. On the surface level, logically, it kind of makes sense. Like if I just yeah. practice the one thing, I'm going to get good at that one thing, right? The problem is that um, when you – it's more nuanced than that, right? Like our, our bodies don't work that way and the real world doesn't necessarily work that way. So I think the, the big push for this, looking back through the literature, is it started in 1993 with Erickson's 10,000-hour rule, which everybody freaking loves, right? Like the 10,000-hour <laughs> rule is like – you do. It's, it's a study from 1993, Erickson's 10,000-hour rule. Um, he what? put a bunch of stuff together that showed like typically an expert in in anything will accumulate 10,000 hours of practice in that. And so the idea is that like once you do 10,000 hours, you'll basically be an expert at whatever it is you did 10,000 hours of. That doesn't actually work that yeah, way. Say, Not even no sort of. Yeah. <laughs> so if obviously if you do something for 10,000 hours, you're going to be a lot better at it than you were earlier, right? But yeah. in practice, the problem is that people are genetically different. Um, some people are more gifted. Some people are less gifted. Some people's body types are different. Um, and it turns out that a few different studies, so one study looking at um, Danish athletics, um, so elite, like either Olympic lifters or not even lifters, Olympic athletes um, versus near elite athletes so people that almost made it that were really really good but didn't quite make it to the olympics in their given sports um and these sports are this is kind of a cool uh name from these sports are measured in centimeters grams or seconds so um the cgs sports so this is like track and field this is soccer this is um football rugby uh basically everything that can be measured in centimeters grams or seconds right olympic olympic weightlifting that kind of stuff um until they're 18 years old, people that are actually elite in these sports, and this is all like a post-survey data, they gave mm -hmm. survey stuff to a bunch of athletes that are elite at this point. Until they became 18 years old, the people that became elite had not accumulated as many hours of training in their sport as people who were ended up being non-elite. So, mm -hmm. and I actually have some numbers here. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so like very solid data. This is looking at like hundreds of athletes in these different sports that either went to the Olympics or didn't go to the Olympics. People who were non-elite by the age of nine had accumulated um, a mean of like 272 hours of practice in, the, in that one sport. By the time they were 15, they had accumulated about 2,700 hours of practice in that sport. And by the time they're 18, they had accumulated about 4,200 hours of practice in that sport. If you look at the elite athletes, the people who went on to participate in the Olympics and were actually really good at their sport, and these other people were decent, but they weren't like the top mm -hmm. top the top, right? At age nine, they had accumulated less than half. They'd accumulated 114 hours compared to the 272. 
at age 15, it's 1,800 hours versus the 2,700 in the near elite. Wow. At age 18, cool. they finally start to catch up. So it's 4,100 hours versus 4,200 hours on average participating in that single sport. Um, then it actually gets kind of crazy. So by age 21, the elite athletes all of a sudden have 6,300 average hours, and the, not, the near elite athletes have 5,200 hours. So from 18 to 21, when someone decides to specialize in a sport, the, that's when that kind of change happens. Like, okay, I'm going to be really good at this one sport. And they, they kind of go on to have a high level of success. When people accumulate too many training hours when they're younger in most of these sports, it looks like they either burn out or they don't, just don't become as good as they could have been, right? And there's also data looking at um, time spent in other sports. Um, so months of involvement in other sports, by the time they're 21 years old, the elite athletes had accumulated at least 62 hours or 62 months of time spent playing other sports. The near elite athletes had um, accumulated only 44 hours or 44 months worth of time in other sports. So, I mean, that's, that's nearly half a year extra of basically like playing multiple other sports, right? Yeah. So these multi-sport athletes are kind of the ones that, and that specialize later are the ones that tend to become elite and to really, really succeed in their sports. And the ones that tend to specialize earlier, it looks like don't do as well in the sports. And that's, you know, that's a, those are correlations. That's a, um, not a longitudinal study. It's a cross-sectional yeah. kind of like looking at the data we have, but there's probably something there, right? Oh, so sure. these, these later specializing athletes tend to do better. And then we look at, sorry, you guys can interrupt me too. Yeah, no, more, that's, so. um, I was just thinking, you know, um, I've always said, and without looking at some very specific research, obviously a lot of what I have an education background that leads me to have a bias towards this, but I've always said that, you know, up until you're a junior in high school, mm. there's really no need to specialize. You should play every sport that you can possibly think of, you know, lift weights, go to the weight room, do everything you can up until you're a junior. And then when you're a junior in high school, yeah, it's perfectly okay to get yourself a skill specific court mm -hmm. coach get yourself a, a weight coach and put all your effort into trying to earn that scholarship or move to the next level. But if you haven't created that large basket of skills, that large toolbox of athletic development, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you just, you're, you're going to be behind and you're just not going to be as gifted from an athletic, like pure sure. athletic standpoint. Mm -hmm. You might be great at throwing a baseball from third to first, but that's the only skill you're going to have. And you're also probably going to be have, a higher risk of injury yeah. because that's there's, all there's a much higher risk and we'll talk about that in a second but it also you won't be as good at throwing from third to first as someone who waited longer to specialize in that sport for some reason right less yeah. practice in this case until the age of 20 until the age of 18 looks like it makes you better more practice overall in sports is good but less practice for that specific skill so cool. and more practice in general skill seems to work better um, and then we have one other study look from 2016 looking at a Midwest uh, Division One University, um, and they did kind of a survey too of all these various athletes and the Division One college athletes um, in various sports. So you know, pretty much every sport in college, um, and only sixteen percent had specialized as freshmen. So these these athletes that went on to play in Division One college sports, sixteen percent of them had specialized as freshmen, and up to a sen their senior year in high school, only forty one percent of them had specialized as seniors. Had decided this was their sport. Awesome. It looks like what happens is when people get offered a scholarship, is that the good one, the ones that are good, that's when they decide to specialize. And so just being more generally good at everything, like practicing multiple things, um, 
seems to result in better better later athletic performance. Yeah. So the the one kind of possible caveat to that, and this is one of my biggest pet peeves, is <laughs> sports like gymnastics. Right. Oh, I've seen a lot of young female gymnasts, um, you know, middle school, early high school, with like low back injuries, like spondylolisthesis. Um, I mean, just every every body part, ankles, knees, hips. Um, the argument here, and we don't really have studies looking at it. I'm betting the studies looking at it would show the same thing as for other sports. But peak performance in gymnastics for for gymnasts tends to occur earlier than for most other sports. Yeah. And so, like the the really good athletes tend to be younger, like you know, 16 to 20 years old versus like 21 to 25 years old. <clears throat> so the the argument in gymnastics is that early specialization will result in greater overall peak performance for that single athlete. That being said, like there's a super high rate of injuries in gymnastics. And like if, if you're in middle school, you shouldn't have like a broken back. Like that's yeah, because right. you because you jumped a lot. You know, that's yeah. that's insane. It's you and it I don't know. I don't know what the the fix there is. Um like it's possible if we forced everyone to not specialize early in gymnastics that we'd all be worse at gymnastics and nobody would make it to the Olympics, right? And maybe maybe the kid can decide this is what I want to do with my life. But I would I would say it's probably on the parents to like maybe pull them back a little bit and say like, Hey, you're going to, you're damaging yourself. This is not an okay thing for a, for an eighth grader to do. Um, that, that's my little rant on that one. Yeah, no, I mean, um, that's, I mean, you're fighting against uh, an industry. I think that we've seen yeah. in recent years to just have like this, you know, I think gymnasts are great. Like, let me say it's, that it's first awesome, and foremost, yeah. like I, I if I, I had, had a kid today, I'd be pushing them to be in some type of gymnastics just mm -hmm. because of body the pure athleticism, yeah. body awareness, yeah. like, that skill is amazing. And so, like, there's nothing to take away from the athletes themselves. But the body of work, you know, the, the organizations that run it, the Olympic committees, the everything from the way they're judged to the way they expect their body types to be to everything is definitely lends itself to be a not very um, healthy um, mm -hmm. endeavor, maybe as healthy as it could be, right? Again, yeah. I think that the athletes that are taking part in it are fantastic. Yeah. I think that... A lot of athletes or a lot of kids should be involved in it, mm -hmm. but I think as parents and as coaches and everything else, we should drive to make that change. And I don't, I'm not a gymnast. I, I've never been involved with it, so I don't know even how that looks or, you know, but I, I, I do yeah. know that a lot of families and people feel the same way. It's just, they kind of fall victim to, well, this is the way it's been done yeah. for the and last 40 of, years. And it's, the training is like by tradition a lot. Right. Of, and, and. So the other thing too is like, you know, if, like football is a very dangerous sport, right? Like we, we have a lot of data on like chronic traumatic encephalopathy and like right. long-term brain injuries and like just people play football professionally for three years and they're done for the vast majority of the time. Like they're hurt for life. Um, so we know football is dangerous, but that is adults making those decisions. So you're an adult when you get into professional football or even like college football and you're saying like, hey, this is worth it to me. That's cool. Like strongman's not a very safe sport either. There's a fairly yeah. high injury risk in strongman. Um, I make that decision knowingly as an adult to be like, okay, this is fine for me to do. Like I would really argue a sixth grader can't make that decision for themselves. And so that's being made by the people around them to push yeah. into this possibly damaging activity that could result in like, you know, fairly, fairly long-term pain. Um, not that it always, and that's, you know, here it made to move, like nothing is permanent. We can always fix everything and like pain doesn't have to be permanent. But a lot of the time, these things can result in like chronic pain situations in very, very fairly young children. And that's not... 
something I would argue that a sixth to eighth grader gets to decide on their own necessarily because they don't have the, the life experience to make a good decision based on that. That's a good point. Um, so that would be, I'm, I'm making everyone angry at me right now. But Why that's, are you that's kind angry? of my, no, I'm not, no, I'm not angry. Everyone else is going to angry. You're, you're, no, so no, you're spot on. I mean, um, yeah. It's a hard pill to swallow, but yeah. it's, it's, so, it's and, true. And that's like we've, we've cut down on um, some of the, the violent aspects of football in like middle and high school, right? Like, they, like we have more pads. We're not allowed to play as long. Like if you have a concussion, you're out for an extended period of time, even in professional football. Like – Maybe we need some rule, some ground rules like that in sports like gymnastics. Right. Or, well, we've done know, it in baseball athletics. too with yeah. pitch counts yeah, and exactly. everything else, yeah. like trying to limit that. You know, like which is interesting. There, there's mm-hmm. there's there's ways around that, and now like where they go in multiple seasons and they have, play on multiple teams, and the teams aren't keeping track of what they're pitching at other at other teams, and like mm-hmm. you know, so like it is a systemic issue around a lot of sports with just the amount of hours that people are playing, and that's why. Again, until you reach that late adolescent age, that you know, junior in high school or later, even mm-hmm. you shouldn't be worried about specialization. Sure. You should be worried about building the largest athletic toolbox that you can possibly build, so that you can excel at whatever it is you choose to do once you enter college. I think that's good. Yeah, yeah. I still have a question. Yeah. My one question I had was that. What about those who are not one sport or specialized athletes and those who are play multiple sports and don't have a true off season? Like how do you guys fit in strength training on top of that? Cause like, cause I mean the seasons overlap, you go from football yeah. straight to basketball. You maybe have winter off before the next season starts. Like, is there a season that you're like, you know, I'm going to do strength training during this one. Yeah. And just like, room, room basketball. Right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. But yeah. like, but how do the kids make progress in, in the strength gains? Cause it's like, you can't maintain the whole entire year. I yeah. think that, I think that periodization within high school athletics or even before middle school, like matters so much less than it does mm-hmm. when you are now in the elite. So mm-hmm. I played sports pretty much year round. And I think that I was probably better prepared during the times that I worked the hardest. Mm -hmm. So if I was lifting weights on Wednesday, maybe even having practice the same day, then Thursday I got another practice, then Friday I lift, and then Saturday I go play my game, like, I felt like Saturday I was in better position and and Mm -hmm. more well, like, just prepared for that event than had I taken a couple days off, didn't lift, like, let my body rest, like, I don't think your body needs to rest as a kid. I mean, that's a, that's a loaded statement. Um, I think people could jump all over me by saying that. But there are some people, like even up to the Olympic level, that have said, I want to max out going into my event mm-hmm. because when I step onto the field, if I just hit a PR two days before, I feel like I can crush whoever's standing in front of me <laughs> or I can throw the ball further or throw that's the good. shot pit yeah. further, you know, and I think that's important to, to, to try to, you know, yeah, and I would say from like a practical standpoint there too, like we have those studies looking at acute on chronic workload, right? And like when it, when there's a big spike in acute workload, that's when you have the issue. But athletes that are more, and this is actually a study done in uh, curling athletes. Curling? No, are they no. athletes? Hur- hurling, hurling, right? Hurling, I, okay. Yeah, Ireland, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> hurling athletes, which is interesting. Um, but these athletes that uh, basically were more used to high workloads had a much lower injury risk and that that were stronger had a much lower injury yeah. risk. so it would be like kind of this like a little bit of a touch and go feel of easing into um 
you know, adding the weight training in during a season probably and just doing it in a fairly like minimal effective dose for a little while yeah. until they get used to that workload and then increasing the workload and eventually, as long as they have time to do it, like keep just normal lifting program on top of the training and like your body will adapt. You know, you can you can do it probably in most sports. It would just be a, a more touchy process, I think, getting into it. Yeah. I That's think having a coach too. Like, I yeah. mean, if the kids are in the weight room doing their own thing and like following a program that somebody built for them, but they're not having interaction it's much more likely for their performance to be affected. But if they're going to a coach and the coach can watch them move and they sense that the energy isn't there or they sense then that program gets to be adapted Mm -hmm. for their situation that week or that day or that month. And that is huge too because Mm -hmm. now as it undulates day to day or week to week, you can adapt that and prepare them for that weekend event you know whereas if they're on their own kind of doing their own thing you might not be able to to see that yeah i know so. you like the uh like effort-based approach like the yeah. reps and reserve and yeah so, i like yeah, reps and reserve or like essentially rpe uh rate of perceived exertion like okay how hard was that on a scale of zero to ten right and they're not gonna be good at it. They're kids they don't really know necessarily like what a true 10 is until they've experienced like oh that was a 10 i couldn't do anymore mm-hmm. but like yeah once you get closer to competition say you have a game on saturday Maybe Friday, Saturday you probably wouldn't do anything. Friday you could probably still work out, but you would just drop the number of sets and keep it a little bit easier of a workout. But yeah, I think it's perfectly fine to train on top of your current training routine, as long as you have time for it as a parent and uh, and as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you guys have anything else? Or I think I'm that good. kind of yeah. I think there's a million things to talk about, but I think oh, that sums so up good. a pretty yeah. good introduction. You know, part one, youth training. Uh, you know, and, and what it means in terms of strength and conditioning. Yeah. Please don't hate me, gymnasts. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. There, so, are, there are really, really good coaches out there that do a really good job, and I know a couple. Um, I'm not saying coach. it's everyone. Yeah, it's, yeah. I've just seen it enough at this point. Right, it's right. Great. Um, yeah, Nate, nobody's going to yeah, firebomb yeah. the, the clinic. But yeah. uh, <laughs> so, you know, hey, you know, one thing to think about, if you have any questions uh, regarding long-term athletic development of your, of your youth, Um, you know, we're happy to do consultations, sit down, no cost, like discuss this in depth as it pertains to you or your child. Happy to do that anytime. Give us a call, shoot us a message on the website, um, and and really help us educate you further so that you can make informed decisions. Um, you know, we know coaches all over town. We, we coach ourselves. There's a lot of things that we can do to help. So, uh, if you're interested, go ahead and reach out. Um, And yeah, look forward to uh, the next team podcast uh, coming soon. Cool. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks for listening. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Healthy Charleston podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram, search Healthy Charleston, one word, like, follow, comment on today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, if you have possible guests that you want us to bring on, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, reach out there, send us a direct message. We would love some feedback. Also, if you get any extra time, head over to iTunes, give us a rating. Again, put comments there. We love your feedback. Have fun.